We're going to start where we've started uh, regularly for the last three weeks, and uh, we're going to continue by opening together uh, a, a recitation, a reading of the preferred prayer of Jesus, and many of you know it as the Lord's Prayer, and um, I'm going to pause in the middle, so just be ready for a pause, because I'm going to say, stop, and I want to make a couple of comments to you about how the Lord has been speaking to me this week as I've been praying uh, this prayer, and I, I hope it'll make a connection that is pertinent to today. So I'm going to step off to the side, and uh, we're going to read it together. And so uh, we've, we've printed it simply because this may or may not be the version that you've memorized so that we can all stay on the same page. Uh, we're just going to read this together. So if you'll begin with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Stop. The thought that I've had this week that I don't know that I've ever had particularly in, exact, in the exact way that I had it was simply the powerful presence of God engaging us in our daily activity, our daily needs. Another way to say this is give us today tomorrow's bread. Give us hope that today, that tomorrow you will be with us. Uh, you can also say, give us today the bread that we need to sustain us. And for the first time ever in my own thinking, I think a light bulb went off, and I thought to myself, we're not simply asking for God's sustaining presence, nor are we asking for bread for tomorrow or, or the, the bread of the future. But what follows is a, a way of thinking about the activity of God in our life. So we say, God, give to us everything we need that will sustain us. Give to us everything that we need that will give us life today, tomorrow, and into the future. And here's what some of that bread looks like. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. May it be so in us and through us. Today as we continue to talk about worship, I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with Isaiah 6. It's one of the prominent passages in Isaiah 6, and it's simply... Uh, what you might know is the commissioning of Isaiah. It could be uh, simply the revelation of God to Isaiah in the midst of worship. The revelation of God to Isaiah in the midst of worship. And so I'm going to read it, and I'm going to invite you to do what we did last week, and simply I'm not going to post the words. Uh, sometimes I think we get so focused on the words that we fail to let the word penetrate our hearts. And so if you can imagine a worship, uh, a worship environment uh, we just finished with singing. We just finished with uh, sharing our lives together. And so just imagine a worship environment. Imagine uh, a, a temple or a place of worship. Imagine a beautiful cathedral or a middle school cafetorium. But imagine, imagine if you will, the incredible awakening to God's presence in the midst 
of worship. Because this is what happens to Isaiah. So if you can close your eyes maybe, uh, perhaps you just want to sit quietly with your hands in your lap, perhaps you want to turn your palms up, whatever you can do to uh, sort of uh, tap into the creative imaginative juices in terms of hearing and listening and having the word penetrate your heart, to imagine uh, this place of worship, do that. And and I'm going to read beginning with verse 1 from chapter 6, and it says simply this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. A powerful picture of the presence of God made known to Isaiah as he worshiped. So we've been saying that worship is an awakening of God's love and our response to it. I want to add just a a, a layer of thought to that this morning and simply say this. Worship is a revelation of wow and woe. Worship is a revelation of of wow and woe. Just simply suffice the first part of verse 1 of chapter 6 to invite you into this wow and woe because your mind will go back to what you heard me read earlier and I'm going to flesh it out in uh, several statements after this. But, but this is what I understand. A revelation of wow and woe comes from from, from Isaiah seeing the Lord. Now, John says in his revelation that Isaiah saw Jesus, a Christophany, the preexistent Christ. Some have argued that it was a theophany, that he simply saw an image of God. And, and I want to say, what does it matter? What does it matter? He, he really, what we need to know is that he had a 
an encounter with the living God. And in that encounter with the living God, he experienced the wow and woe of his presence. So when we talk about a revelation of wow and woe, what is it? Let me suggest to you that a revelation of wow and woe is encountering God at the intersection of transcendence and imminence. It's, it's a revelation of encountering God at the intersection of transcendence and imminence. Transcendence simply means encountering God for all that he is and who he is in a way that is so far beyond our capacity to understand and to know. It's so this is the picture of God, bigger and brighter and grander than we could ever imagine. The God of the universe is making himself known to us. And all we can simply say is, wow. But the God of the universe in this encounter with Isaiah didn't stand from a great distance to make himself known. The God of the universe moved up close and personal. And it simply says that while Isaiah was worshiping, he saw the vision of Christ. He saw the vision of the Father. He saw the vision of being seated on a powerful throne, high and lift it up, and in the midst of that, it says that the room that he was in, in his experience, began to shake, began to tremble with the powerful eminence, the presence of God. You see, when we see God clearly, the God of the universe, when, when we see him clearly, when we encounter him in worship, our vision of who he is and who we are in his presence is revealed. The picture of who he is and who we are in his presence is revealed. And in that picture we get wow, and in that picture we get woe. Because seeing God, the wow of the creator of the universe, is awesome and breathtaking is awesome and breathtaking. I was talking to uh, Rodney Allen this week. For those of you who don't know, Rodney is a, a, an avid bird watcher. He was telling me a story. And I've forgotten the name of the bird, or I would tell you. Uh, Rodney could tell you. But he was watching, and uh, he's made a friend. Uh, this friend is um, uh, 80 years old, and her eyesight... Her eyesight is failing her, and so uh, Rodney has taken her on some adventures in watching, and she has an incredible, uh, an incredible uh, scope, a really powerful scope that assists her ability to see the birds. And so Rodney was helping her see the birds, and he saw this really special bird, and he was trying to point it out to her by saying, look, 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 and she couldn't see the bird. And he said, the most amazing thing happened, Alan. While we were standing there and I was trying to point the bird out to her, the bird appeared just a few feet in front of her, flittering. You know, can I just be honest? I think that's the incredibly powerful work of God making known his wonderful cosmos of creation so that we say, wow. That's exactly what this woman 
declared when she saw the bird that finally came into focus. Have you ever felt like God was out of focus and you just needed to see him up close and personal? And every time we see God up close and personal, every time he comes into focus for us, there is one word to describe it, and that is wow. Wow. But also, that awesome, breathtaking wow is followed by an awareness of who he is, but also in his presence, an awareness of who we are. And Isaiah captures this in the later verses. And here's what I understand about God encountering us and our experience of self in his presence. And that is simply this. When we see God, that encounter is always humbling and transforming. Always humbling and transforming. So the next three things that I have to say are a fleshing out of the wow and the woe. So let me be really, really clear. I do not believe that the wow and woe of God's revelation of himself to us is reserved for big occasions. It doesn't happen on the big stage. It's not designed to happen on the big stage. I'm happy when it happens here in our presence, but I am equally happy. Actually, I'm even maybe a little bit more happy when I hear the reports of your encounter of God in your everyday, ordinary life where he shows up and makes himself known, and you say, wow. Where he shows up and he makes himself known, and in his presence you say, whoa. And so when God shows up with his presence and we say, wow, it's like this. Worship and God in terms of wow is that simply this. God is majestic and beautiful, powerful and present, and his glory fills the earth. Our boxes cannot contain him. That's the beauty. Whenever God shows up, he always bursts our boxes because he's always bigger than our understanding of who he is. Commentators have suggested, perhaps, that the calling and commissioning of Isaiah with this particular imagery uh, is, is an awakening not only for Isaiah, but an awakening for the children of Israel. It's a little bit awkward if you read the first five chapters of Isaiah because it's talking about a people who have lost their way. It, it's talking just about a people who've lost their way. And so is it chronologically that Isaiah had this vision before Verses, chapters 1 through 5 were written? Possibly. But if it is, simply chapter 6 comes at an important time to talk about how God intervenes in the lives of people who've lost their way. And so God intervenes in the lives of people who've lost their way by showing up and by showing that he's majestic and beautiful, powerful and present, that his earth fills, uh, his glory fills the earth. And one of the things that he shows us is that whatever our understanding of God has been, whatever it is, our understanding is too small, and our understanding of who God is needs to be expanded. Every time I think I've got God figured out, he shows me something new. And I say, awesome. 
wouldn't it be sad? Wouldn't it be sad if we just figured him out? I think that would demote him. I don't think he would be God if we had him all figured out. But he shows us himself. And so the imagery of this revelation is a corrective to Israel's view of the smallness of God and to ours. And to ours. If God is too small, we need to have this corrective imagery planted deep within us. And so the imagery is simply this. Uh, the throne is just simply a picture that God is the king over Israel. The, the, the idea of God being high and exalted is simply uh, a symbol of that expression of his kingship, that he, he's exalted over all of Israel. And simply the long robe and, uh, and uh, uh, the smoke that fills the temple is, it speaks of simply his royalty and his majesty and his appearing to those he loves. See, the, the, pro, the proclamation of the seraphs uh, tells us much about the presence of God. And it says that as they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty back and forth to one another, that the powerful presence of God came and filled the place. And it says that simply at that point, God moved more closely to Isaiah. And the doorposts and the shaking of those doorposts, which are powerful uh, structural columns in the temple is simply an awakening of the powerful, awesome presence of God. Let me just ask you, when was the last time you had an encounter of God that dazzled you with his beauty, his majesty, his love, his passion, and his presence? I hope it's not been that long. Because I hope that as you sing, I hope that as you read Scripture, I hope that as you pray, I hope that as you serve, I hope that as you love, God makes himself known in powerful ways to display his splendor and glory and also to make his power known to us. That's the wow. That's the wow of the revelation of God in worship. The woe experienced by Isaiah is simply when God shows up in power, Isaiah's soul is bared before the Lord. If you're listening or watching your listening sheet, I framed it this way on the listening sheet, and it's simply this. As Isaiah's soul was laid bare, we understand this, that in the presence of God, there are no secrets. In the presence of God, there are no secrets. He, uh, he says, whoa, I'm ruined. I'm a sinful man, and the people I live among are sinful also. My lips are unclean, and my eyes have seen, another way to say it, the beauty and holiness of the Lord. You see, whenever we encounter the presence of God, we also encounter His holiness. 
And when we encounter his holiness, we understand that we ourselves are deficient, that we ourselves are in need, that we ourselves in places that we are aware of and in places that we are unaware of are broken and need a touch from God. Perhaps Isaiah was aware of his own sinfulness because he was aware of the sin of his people. And so if you look at chapter 5, there are six identified sins of the Israel, Israelites. And I'm just going to read them quickly if you want the list and where you can read. You can just go read the whole of chapter 5. It's really clear as to the experience of the Israelites. And perhaps Isaiah is, is, is identifying not only with them, but also these places where sin has invaded his life. And so, so the, the, uh, the awareness that comes to the Israelites and perhaps even to Isaiah is simply this, uh, the sin of materialism. Sin of materialism. Uh, the sin of doubt. The sin of conceit. Uh, one way to say that is the, the distortion of self. Conceit, self-made, I can do it, I can make it on my own. The sin of pleasure, which is expressed in the drunkenness. Fulfilling self. It's just simply the sin of drunkenness. Uh, the sin of being confused by calling evil things good. And then something that's close to materialism but it's just a little bit different, and that is the, the loss of justice because of the taking of bribes. Perhaps this awareness, this awareness in Isaiah is awakened because of the people he lives among and he recognizes he has a, a, a place with the people. What I want to say to you is that in the presence of God there are no secrets and in the presence of God, those secrets that are in our hearts are made known. And when they are made known, I will suggest to you that our lives are just like Isaiah's. We say, whoa. Whoa. Eighteen years ago, a little over, almost 20 now, when the church was just in its formative stages, uh, I went on a personal retreat uh, to the Villa de Matil. Many of you have been there. Many of you have been there with groups in our church. And I was there on a personal retreat. I was there trying to listen to the voice of the Lord. And uh, so it was my first visit there. And I was being taken by one of the sisters on a tour. She took me up through the back stairs. And I, we ended up on the balcony of the sanctuary. And she's telling me all about the, the stained glass. And she's telling me all about the the beauty of God, and, and at the very end of her introduction to uh, the sanctuary, she just looked at me, and she said these words. She said, perhaps before you leave, you'll come back to this place and experience your smallness before God. Ah, it was the words of the Spirit that pierced my heart. There was no condemnation, but the powerful presence of God pierced my heart at that moment, and I realized, I realized that I was unfit 
that I was unprepared, that my life was nowhere ready to lead planting a church. And I thought, how can I get out of here really quick? Like, I was about to burst into tears. I didn't want to cry in front of her. I didn't want to have to explain what was going on, although she probably would have understood, and perhaps she already knew. As quick as I could, as quick as I could, I got away from her and back to my room, and I closed the door, and I cried for a couple of hours. And all I could say is, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I thought of all the reasons I couldn't and all the, the failures and all of the misplaced thoughts and ideas about what church planting would be, which always had me as the hero. I can't do this. But in the compassion of God, as with Isaiah and me, my confession of my inability and my sinfulness and my misplaced trust opened the door for me to experience transformation and forgiveness. Which leads me to our final point, and I'm, I'm going to finish with this. When God shows up and shows us who He is, when God shows up and we understand in His presence there are no secrets, the very next thing that follows is simply this. As we make ourselves available through our confession, we make ourselves available to the forgiveness of God. Here's what follows, and that's simply this. We understand that God doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to heal us. God doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to heal us. If I cut to the chase, one touch from God was exactly what Isaiah needed. The seraphim took with tongs a coal off the fire of the altar and flew over and touched Isaiah in the very place of his confession. I am a man of unclean lips. And the powerful presence of God in his holiness touched Isaiah at his point of need and says, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt and your sin is atoned for. You know, that's exactly what happens in our lives when God shows up. The wow and the woe becomes the wow of God's healing touch. And interestingly, we've said it before, but it resonates more deeply to me today. In that encounter of God touching us in our place of need, we understand that he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Rather than run from his holiness, you need to understand this. In his holiness, he makes us whole. In his holiness, he makes us whole. 
in many church traditions regularly in the course of the service there's a prayer of confession let me read that prayer of confession this is from the book of common prayer and to do it rightly we should read it together but just listen and let it penetrate your heart most merciful God we confess that we've sinned in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved thee with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of thy Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us that we may delight in thy will and walk in thy ways to the glory of thy name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I told you the same thing in a different way. Here I am. I need you now. And the beauty, the beauty of having our hurt and our wound touched by the powerful healing presence of God is that what happened to Isaiah is affordable and available to us. And so it doesn't end with a confession of sin. It ends with this. The congregants pray and the priest then says these words. Hear them and receive them. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins. True repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of His Holy Spirit. Amen. See, that's the holiness of God at work in us and through us. And some of you might say, wow, that seems a little weird. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's calling forth the powerful work of God to be active in us and through us so that we can pronounce to the confessors, to those who are repentant, we can say, yes, may the Lord forgive you. May he release you. May his touch turn your life around and bring you to know that this is the everyday ordinary life that ongoingly we should be experiencing the wow of God, His majesty, His glory, and His splendor that brings us to the woe of self in His presence, knowing that His holiness is for the purpose of healing us, knowing that God never intends to hurt us, but to bring healing to us. And this is what I want you to know. The everyday, ordinary life of followers of Jesus should regularly experience in worship, in prayer, in reading, in singing, in sharing, in loving, in going, should experience the presence of God that awakens us to wow, that awakens us to woe, and touches us with the wow of God to transform us from the inside out. This is not 
extraordinary. I cannot say it more powerfully. It is not extraordinary. This is the normal life of believers. John Wimber said it this way, the way in is the way on. The way in is an awakening of God's love. The way in is an awakening of self in the presence of a holy God. The way in is a touch from the holy God to make us whole. And the way on repeats that cycle again and 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 again. And in my life, sometimes multiple times every day. And I hope for you too. Worship is a revelation of wow and woe. May it be so for each of us regularly in the lives that we live.